Scott's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude. When you hear the trippy music on Wednesday at 2 o'clock, you know what time it is. It's time here on Mutiny Radio for Some Call Me Tim. Yes, uh, the show where I interview a different person every week about what they believe in. And today I have special guest Rachel D, everybody. Yay, Rachel D. Hey, hey, hey. Yay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Rachel Dace here, we're gonna, I'm gonna jump over here. We also have Sima Lieberman in the house. She's gonna be running the ones and twos for me. So I'm gonna jump over and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I knew that was gonna happen. I had a feeling, I had a feeling that was gonna happen. I'm trying to jump over and around to the other microphone. Here I am on what I believe is microphone four. It should be, and we are here, yay. So ones and twos on the mic, not that. So we are here today with Rachel D, comedian, teach former teacher, back to teacher, teacher coming, teacher back. Soon, soon, soon. Teacher soon again. Uh, sh- the first thing we usually do is we just look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus, who is behind you. Oh. Look deep into his eyes, and I ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Yes! Ooh! As uh, as specifically your Lord and Savior, or as a guy who lived once upon I definitely, a time? I, I, I definitely think that he was a guy who lived. I've been doing... I, I stopped, but I was researching a lot about um, who he like could legit be, as opposed to the Son of God. Oh. Because I wanna, I've want i been working on writing a book. That's about the Son of the... About him about, being a carpenter. Actually, like Mary, actually, about his, about his mom, right? Oh. And like who she really was, and where she really came from. Ah, yeah. The yeah. virgin, the virgin, the miracle of virgin I mean, birth. It's going to be a fictional novel, right? But it's oh, going to be called great. The True Story of Mary. That's cool. <laughs> so you so you're do, you're literally doing research on Mary Mary, mother of God, full of grace. Were you raised super Catholic or My parents were raised Catholic, but I was raised Lutheran. So, and that's pretty close to Catholicism. There's a lot of kneeling, standing, sitting up and down. Yeah, it's, yeah. And, and there's more of a um, a structure to the sermon, to the, to the, the liturgy and the way, the right. way it's organized. Yeah. And the only, I guess the only real big difference would be, uh, there's no priests. Right. They, you've got so pastors. probably less pedophilia, oh, I would wow. guess in the Lutheran religion. <laughs> uh, 
Well, but the, the pedophilia is sort of steeped in the whole culture. I mean, Jesus did love all the little children. That's that's true. All the little that's children true. of the world. Although, like in like was it the book of James, right, where there's like a story of him killing a kid because like when he was a kid, like when Jesus was a kid, or was it the book of Tim? It's one of the books that's not in the Bible. It's one of the ones that didn't make it in. The and that's called the Gnostics. Yeah, 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 Gnostics. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He well, that, I mean, I guess it's possible because he did the money changing things. He was a, he was he was angry. He was he was filled with righteous anger. I was just thinking that. Like yeah. I feel like all my anger is righteous. <laughs> yeah, I've, I I feel I haven't been angry. Well, I mean, I get angry at situations, but I don't really have the power to get angry at specific people like yeah. like the things that make me really angry. What are some of the things that make you really angry? Things that uh, public education. But aren't you in public education? No. Um, also, private education makes me angry. So education in America, I would say, makes me angry. Yeah. Be- but like, like fire in my eyes, a- angry. Because we're not educated, right? Or, or, or because we're not educating. Is it is it the critical thought issue? Is oh, it- it's yeah, it's critical thought. It's 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 just even funds towards education, right? In in our country, and then the disparity that education is creating between rich and poor, right? Sure. Because all the rich kids go to private school. And Betsy DeVos, <laughs> she's a problem, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that makes me angry. Yeah. What would you what would you do to change it? So much. It's like you need to like almost start over again. Like for like to begin with, when we look look at this our school buildings, like look at the, uh. the, the, the structures that we send children to learn in. They look like prisons. Oh uh, that's fair it's as and though true. we're just, yeah. you know, getting yeah. them ready to go to prison to, when they're adults. To be uh, institutionalized. Yeah. Well, I mean, some argue that school is has to teach kids how to jump through hoops because if we don't teach them now, what they're going to be surprised when they get to a job and people have expectations of them. Well, I also think that we are spending way too much time deciding what those jobs are going to be because oh. they're changing so quickly. And if we just educated for critical thinking and imagination and creativity and problem but solving, creativity can't make you money. Yeah, I can. As 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 a as a basket of skills that you bring to the table. Yeah, but see again, you're making assumptions about what the jobs will be in the future, though. Oh, and I think that and there's honestly a lot of jobs now that require you to think outside the box and be creative in the way that you tackle problems. I just mostly in tech, but right in tech. I just don't. Hey, you know what was exciting? Did you get? Did you get? Um, did you get the president's text today? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get it. Why not? Because I have a dumb phone. I didn't get the text. Fuck yeah. I didn't get <laughs> I looked at my That's phone. That's how we're going to defeat. I didn't get the text. Everybody I'm get a so dumb phone. excited. I, I feel like such a, I, I feel like happy that he couldn't, he couldn't reach his tendrils into my life this morning at 1118. Yeah. Like he did with everybody else's. I feel like special that, that his influence does not reach to the to the uber poor to those who don't have smartphones I've been I, that has to be it because he said he sent it over all major carriers and i'm on att i just i'm on a dumb phone so meow meow <laughs> that's amazing yeah, yeah that's i posted really like it. i just received my first presidential alert from the ministry of truth <laughs> <I don't laughs> the know. ministry of truth 
because that's the mystery of untruth. Yeah, exactly. Double 1984. Plus, double, double plus, plus untrue. Yeah. Double plus ungood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you know the ministry of love, where war is waged. So, did you do you teach English? Yeah, I teach literature and history. Oh wow. Okay. In a, uh, did you ever teach in the regular public school system, or have you always been private school? I've been teaching for 18 years, so oh, okay. um, mostly public school. Um, actually, I'm about 50-50 now for public school and private school. It's funny. You, you started. I started teaching in 97, but I got out of it in 2001. I stopped teaching for public school. Yeah, that's where I started was public school. Yeah. Um, been to a lot of different places, a lot of different demographics. A lot, yeah. Yeah, run the gambit. And, and, and you... Are you excited to get back to it, or do you feel like, oh, God, I, I never want this sabbatical to end? I'm just really anxious, I guess. Like, on occasion, I look forward to it because I there is a lot of joy in um, helping kids realize what they can do or sure. or just or that they could do something they didn't think they could or just, just eye-awakening moments. Like, that. the light bulb's going off. Like, that is wonderful. I love that part. Sure. It's the bureaucracy and the judgment of the administration or of the parents yes and also just the way that we decide grades and what grades are and uh it's there's just so much that that is uh frustrating and, and 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 has become more and more difficult to tolerate sure so is that, I mean, what, what led on to your, to the anxiety? Was it all that? Was it the administration stuff and the parent? It wasn't the kids. It was, the, oh, you can't die about it. Okay, never mind. I yeah. was just thinking like, I'm getting a little too specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you bet. You no problem. Uh, I, we well, could, we could talk, well, it's, it's, I mean, we talk usually, about God more. Yeah, usually we talk about like moralistic decisions and, and oh, if you yeah. feel like you need, if you feel like you needed religion in your life to make you a, a moral, you, you consider yourself a moral person. Yeah, I consider yeah, I consider myself somebody that um, I guess acts always tries to act out of um, kindness <gasps> and 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 without animosity. So kindness is integral to your idea of morality. For me, yeah, yeah, I would say definitely. Like the thing that I want most for my son is for him to be kind. Wow. Okay. And um, when you are measuring kindness, is that like? I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to respect is what creates kindness because if you respect the other person and their feelings, then you don't act unkind. I think so. Uh, yeah, it requires empathy. And um, I think, yeah, like being kind, or at least for me, it would be uh, never choosing to do something out of animosity or uh-huh. you know what I mean or, or what or, if someone really fucks with you and like do you are you you're not you just never you're never a revengey person no not revenge. at all no actually revenge. I I tend to go the opposite huh you know in a way like if I definitely wronged. believe in that like turn the other cheek I definitely believe in that idea of kill him with kindness okay you know? I really do I've seen it I've seen it work wow so no spite. No. You don't do the spite thing. No, I don't have any. Huh. I just maybe I don't have energy for it or um if so, if someone hurts you it, it you just don't get fulfilled by trying to reciprocate no. that. You're not an eye for eye person. If you're looking at the Bible, you're taking the Jesus part. Hell yeah. And not the God part. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not. What about um uh, the um capital punishment? Do you believe in no, uh, killing don't prisoners? No. Nope. Don't believe in I don't killing believe people. In capital punishment. No. Nope. What about like if they killed like eighteen people? Yeah, that's. I mean, I would study that person. Huh. Um, I would definitely not just destroy like what the what is going on here like why did this happen like who is you know we would we would learn so much more I think if we but if it was like a family member or someone you really cared about let's say this is this is a terrible hypothetical but somebody something like that happens a school shooting and Mm -hmm. your son gets killed Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. don't go murder that child who murdered my child no you don't think that no how I, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around. It'd be like if, for me, it'd be if somebody, like in without any care for anyone, killed my boyfriend. I would, Jonathan. I would be like, I would be insane. I would like, I, I would, I, wow. I'd be really vindic. I'd be like, yeah, kill that motherfucker. Huh, and I consider yeah. myself a pretty moral person. Yeah. But, I mean. I I don't know. It just it just makes me think you and you have a kid. That's like I do. crazy. Yeah, my dude is crazy. No, it's crazy because it's like I mean you made a little person that's like you. He's huge. We made a big person that's like which is the opposite of you. Yeah. You're a very tiny person. So, wow. Do you feel changed? Do you think motherhood changed you as fundamentally as a person, or do you feel like you're the you've always been the same? Yeah, I think. I think that. Uh, I expected it to, um, but I had a lot of expectations around pregnancy and motherhood, and really that that were not true. Um, I also think I definitely suffered from postpartum depression. Oh, so I didn't really connect with my kid. I didn't really want, you know, it was there was a lot of depression. And sure, so because you felt like your life was gone. Like now they there's a little monster that sucks your life away, or because like I don't. It's like the- postpartum depression is more. It's it's like depression right it's where it's not like oh just suck it up and you'll be better you know it's actually like considered a chemical imbalance wow. or like there's a there's a disconnect between the mother and the child like there's so usually there's this like bond that that happens chemically uh-huh. when a child is born was he was it a vaginal birth or yeah was it, it was a, a vaginal birth okay. which was horrific because he was 10 pounds and two feet oh my god so i suffered like ptsd basically at the hands of my own child you wow. know like he cracked my pelvis oh my god he separated my abdomen wall during the birth or before the birth uh so before the birth as he grew inside me he separated my abdomen wall whoa like a good three inches like you had a basically like a a a hernia uh i don't know what i don't know how to yeah like a hernia yeah yeah but it was like the whole so you, you know your abs are together right uh, and but but there's two sides, right? Sure. So like imagine it right. opening up, ah! like stretching. Yeah. So there's that. Ah! <laughs> Cracked my pelvis. Cracked your pelvis because he was so big and yeah. you were so small. Yeah. And you know, you c- I'm not going to get into any more detail about what happened below. Oh my god. But I couldn't walk for three months. What? Because I had to have surgery to fix my abdomen wall and my... Was your husband a big guy? He was... He's 6'2". Oh, that's pretty big. Yeah, okay. like it's the size of my 15-year-old now. Wow. I just... I'm so... I'm so glad I didn't ever have a have a baby. I wouldn't... I wouldn't be able to handle that at all. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't and be that's able to handle just that at birth. All. <laughs> it's just yeah. like the nine months leading up to it. Holy shit. Uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, I just... I'm, I'm glad that... that chip sailed for me that I that it didn't it didn't work out 
Uh, Did you ever want to have kids? Well, and we tried when I was, I tried to save my marriage uh, by, I went off the pill and we were trying for a good amount of time. But then I went skiing and popped my ACL and I went to the doctor and they were like, well, uh, we got to fix this. But, you know, and I was like, oh, and I started crying and they're like, what's wrong? And I said, I'll, I'll never have a baby. And they were like, no, 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 you can have a baby after the, what you know, it's we're going to have the surgery. And then so like, well, it's going to take four months and then we'll do the surgery. And then it'll take you like four months to recover. And then no problem. You get pregnant. No big deal. And I was crying, crying. I'm like, but we'll be divorced by then. <laughs> and I was totally right. I knew it. It was like if we didn't get pregnant then and it, it just it all fell apart from there. But I'm really lucky I got a reprieve. So I didn't have to have a baby because if I would have had one, I'd have a complete. I'd still be living in San Diego right now, probably driving that Lexus. I'd have a small child around me all the time, or now it'd be like your child's age. So it was 2006 that we were trying pretty hard. 2005 yeah. or 2006? And Conlon was born 2003. Yeah, so I think it was 2005 we were trying really hard. I was 30, 31, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I left, no, 30, 31. And then I left my husband. Uh, right before my 33rd birthday and moved here to San Francisco and oh my god I'm so glad that I didn't have a baby I I just I never would have left him and not that it's not that it's I mean whatever yeah I I, I just I would have a different life and I I had that life for a while and yeah but I I mean ugh, like house like mom in San Diego was not like the thing I was looking for with my you know life or existence yeah I was mom in Phoenix Arizona I was like gonna shoot myself wow (laughs) uh do you has um your new interest in the comedy has it sort of dramatically changed your life or do you think that like do you think this is the sort of turn do you are you feeling fulfilled are you feeling yeah I think yeah i it's it's the only thing I've been focusing on, I think, but in a way it's been um, like mentally saving me. You know, that's like, great. There's so many people that are talk like talk about it like it's therapy, mm-hmm. but um, I needed something to get obsessed about so that I didn't have to constantly be plagued with the the, the you know my breakup and sure. you know, like just the rest of my life that was like kind of shit at that moment. Sure. So it was a beautiful distraction that became something more. Right. Uh, yeah. Hey. It's, and here's to distraction. Uh, <laughs> uh, so do you think people need religion to become morally good people? Like, is it? No. A- I, 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 think, I think people are born good. You think people are born good? Really? Yeah. You think humanity, you think humans are all, this is, this is very interesting. So, but the Bible says that, you know, we were, originally we were born good, and then we ate from the, uh, the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and then now that we have a choice, we can choose to be good or choose to be bad, but does that necessarily mean that we were good to start with, or are we always, I'm, yeah, you, you're shaking your head, you're like, yeah, yeah we're think, all born think, good. Yeah, I do believe. I people I are intrinsically believe, good. Yes, 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 I do. I do believe people are intrinsically good, and that maybe how I can be so kind, or like lead with kindness, I don't know. If, if people are intrinsically good then. Yeah. Then it's that they start out good, yeah. and then it's the things that is the environment. See, I believe that it's the environment that shapes them, but I think yeah. that the environment is so bad. I don't think the environment is inherently good. I think the environment is indifferent, and it's the people around us that create that make our environment good or bad. Yes, and that people are assholes. See, that's the thing is you think people oh, are all good. Yeah, I think people are all dicks, and it's only other. It's only the. It's 
only the human connections that we make and the relationships that we have that make us good or bad because we feel responsible to another person. Mm-hmm. If you don't re- feel responsible to any people, then you can be a fuckbag all you want. It just doesn't even matter because you don't care what other people think about you. You don't mm-hmm. care about the people that are close to you or the people that are in your community. It's like, yeah, if, you, if, you're, if you're like, yeah, fuck them, then you, what is... Uh, see, I think see, that people are. See, I, I, I'm almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. There's, there's. I can't remember which guy. I can't remember the study, but there, there was um, a study done on. Um, oh, what's the word? When, when someone is generous, not for their own sake, like they're just altruism. Yeah. So thank you. So there was a study done, and apparently altruism is. Um, the next it's it's what allows for a species to continue huh so those with altruistic tendencies like according to this study that's that's what will perpetuate the species forward wow um in evolution so we're like we're supposed to be evolving towards a more altruistic existence according to like this evolutionary study so is it then, and then the, the only thing that can stand in the way of that, I would have to say, is money. Yeah. Right. Because money God. is cre- is like a, I mean, imaginated, imaginary. It's, yeah. It's completely imagined, man-made. Is it, it's so funny that way too, because especially like even like ownership of property. Like, when did we decide that property could be owned and that it was owned by these specific people? When we started staying living in societies like before, when we were nomadic mm. there there was no need for that it was very cooperative and it was like the it was the best way to be for the planet as well as like the people right to be continuously moving needing right. each other and working together sure. the second that we started farming oh yeah and 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 um, well, raising the, animals it's the means of production and yeah, building our houses making bread it's it's basically like industry fuck yeah. technology fucked yeah. us because if you eat fruit off the tree and off the vine or whatever and you're not farming it it's just there and you're kind of dealing with it it's once you start growing grain to specifically use the to industry to, and hold to to grind it down into mm-hmm. flour to then mm-hmm. take it like cooking is Technology. Mm. I mean, uh, and fire was fine. <laughs> We're like, I was down. I'm down with us just having some fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like to denature protein over heat because it tastes better. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the that's sort of the first technology was probably fire cooking. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. Cooking fire that to then cook and because people don't like because raw meat's gross. Raw fish, however, mm. delicious. Very nummy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no. So I think yeah, the, sec- the the second we started farming and and raising animals and building, because then it's an we have something. Well, because if food was available to everybody and it was it was based on how hard you gathered, correct, or yeah. how or hunt or right. Like, yeah. So your uh, efforts were rewarded. It was a meritocracy, basically. Totally. Because if you're if you work hard, then you're your work was reflected in how much you got to eat. Yes. But then it becomes, well, we have more and you have less because we're, I don't know, somehow taking care of others on the backs of them. Once you start dealing in wage labor, everything gets funky. Are you a communist or a Marxist? What are you? You consider yourself socialist? Uh, yeah, I, I probably consider myself socialist, I would say. Um, pretty pretty left-leaning socialist. I wouldn't go so far as communist. Def- I'm not Marxist. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I believe that you know, if we're all inherently good, 
I just think I think that there's definitely but we all need to take care of each other like we we should be investing in the prosperity of our community and not just ourselves right and but Americanism and capitalism it's is all about, individual right it's about my family and passing down to my family myself this is up my, my bootstrap my family did this and yeah. I, that's the thing that's so crazy is when people are like rich and you pass your wealth down and like that's the whole basis of America is like you can be poor and you can become rich and then you give it to your kids and then your Lies. kids have money and then they have Lies. money and they pass the money Lies. it's that it's the, and that's that crazy uh capital gains things I've, I've been hearing some people like really complaining about capital gains because their parents or their grandparents are dying and these kinds of things happen mm-hmm. and they're like I have to pay taxes on the money that they pay taxes on they already paid taxes and I have to pay taxes again and I'm like I don't know how I stand on it because I'm not getting any money from anybody. There yeah. ain't there ain't no inheritance for me. There's right. no money. It's like I have no money. I'm never gonna have money. I'm kind of cool with that because it's only an American idealism that says that you're only worth something if you have monetary like yeah, worth, if you have stuff, value, and, and yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, right. Like and what kinds of and, stuff? Right. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. the um the status symbols that we're taught to idolize or mm-hmm. yeah. I mean. Uh, it's like when you're trying to define evil it's just so funny because the people that I see are evil some people don't think that's they think that I'm evil like the people look at they look at like communism and socialism and Marxism they're like that's evil remember yeah. when we were like communism is evil right. yeah the propaganda capitalism is great and I'm like capitalism is actually kind of evil it is yeah yeah definitely but also like I was just thinking like the, what do I think of when I think of people I, I I would consider maybe and I don't even know if I could consider anyone evil really come on I'm trying to think I mean I could name like 10 evil people right now maybe they're it's all in Trump's cabinet I know it's like every yeah, single one I know. of them yeah and, and I it's yeah like I just thought, it's, but it's also like I just have this like I I I I want to understand how they got there, you know, because Money. I don't believe that that's how they started. Betsy DeVos's family and corporation, something that was behind her, gave more money to the Dem- or to the Republican Party than ever. She even said in a press conference, like, what am I going to get for my all of the money I put in? And then suddenly she's the edu- secretary of yeah. education. It's yeah. like, there, it literally, the stuff is still, we just have such short memories, but it literally was on the internet in stuff. Her saying like, hey, what do I get? So for, that's what I was thinking. being a part of the campaign. Like, Maybe evil is greed. Sure. Selfishness. Yeah. Greed. Yeah. That, I, that lack of altruism. And, and it, the, is that and empathy and empathy. And that comes from like the seeking and acquisition of stuff and things. Maybe I think so. It, you know, also the, there's a, there is, I've been studying um, some brain science around reading Oh, and how reading like a physical book, not a Kindle, but a physical book activates the motor strip in your brain um, so that as you're reading a scenario, you are actually, your brain is experiencing it as though you were doing it. Sure. Like f- first person narratives right? and fiction you, are really like important. You get that movie going in your head when you're reading, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that is generating empathy because you're placing yourself in situations you may never, ever, ever be in. It, right? Literature can save the world. Absolutely. So I don't think these guys read. 
No, they don't. They specifically, there's been like, I mean, you you know who did read Barack Obama because yeah. he was, a, you know, he was like a constitutional lawyer. So he mm-hmm. thought about these kinds of issues in law and things. Mm-hmm. I think that Trump just watches TV. He watched, I heard he's like obsessed with TV and mm-hmm. what people think of him and say about him. And then he watches like multiple TVs at once to like know what's going on. But that, that a Barack used to have a special time where he'd just read. He'd like sit down and, which yeah. I think, I think I, I agree with you that literature and first person narratives and the ability to empathize can come from reading because you literally there's a relationship between you and the author and you can actually sort of become the author and see i mean and and reading is super higher higher order thinking because it's a bunch of symbols on a page that we accept okay these 26 symbols make and we're not naturally readers like we have to like learn like train our brains to learn to read every time like there's no this is that's not inherent right like, right right well it's the it's the understanding and in, in the putting together of symbols so if you yeah. take these symbols and then you smush them together and they make words and then those words you smush them together and they make sentences and then those sentences make pictures in our brain mm-hmm. like that's like a bunch of different processes all these that different are parts happening. of your brain are yeah. activated right like right. so many different parts but that you know what that doesn't happen when you read on a screen that's really interesting because you have to have the kinesthetic part. Wow. The, the holding of the book. The but knowing. you're holding your tablet. No, no, no. Can you, but like the, when, when I say, where are you in this book? Oh, and you're like, I don't know, somewhere. Right? This flat screen. I don't, actually don't have an understanding of where I am in the story. But physically, you can say, oh, I'm about three sure, fourths sure, the way through my book. Sure, sure. And you can flip to a page. and f- like so Because that, the book in itself is an object, whereas... The only object when you have a Kindle, the Kindle is the object, right? And the information is, is something it like different, intangible, right? So it's less likely to create that motor strip activity that allows you to have empathy. Wow, I know. And now the kids are all using a pictorial language, like emojis are a pictorial, specifically pictorial language. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because William Burroughs wrote that the highest form of thought would be if we had a pictorial language because it would be the most recognizable by all people and it wouldn't differentiate us by culture because our culture is our language and our language often is different symbology Mm -hmm. that goes together right so like but I don't agree with that. I don't think that emoji language is... I don't think... I don't... I, I feel like it might be it a, a simplification. Well, yeah. It's, and, yeah. It, and maybe it does remove empathy. But it, it helps you sort of and then, understand like, tone. It, you can, no, speaking of like 1984, though, it's like, devil, like, you know, just getting rid of any superfluous words, right? Sure. It's just good. It's just bad. There's no... Double plus on good. Yeah, right. Double plus right? on bad. So they got rid of all the synonyms that were so beautiful that really sure. had like... Um, you know, the connotation was more important than just the word. Right. Well, and this then you is, lose connotation. If we don't teach people how to read physical books and stuff like that, when the solar flare comes and all the electricity goes out, everyone's fucked. Like, okay, if electricity went out in San Francisco for a week, I think it would be. We'd have to declare martial law. Mayhem People the would streets. lose their fucking minds. They would. If there was no electricity, first, no one would know how to cook anything because everyone uses, like, even if you can use a microwave, they'd be like, how do I cook without a microwave? <laughs> Some people can't even cook in a microwave, but they, oh, how do I do it? You know, how do I, how do I? I'm so glad I have a gas heat? stove. <laughs> Hell yeah. But if there was no electricity, it would be. It would be mayhem. People wouldn't be able to use. Can't use your phone. Like if you asked. How am I going to call Uber? Yeah. If, <laughs> if you asked people to go without their cell phone for like a day, 
Oh, they would lose their fucking They'd minds. They'd lose their fucking minds. I, I and, absolutely believe it. And somehow we're like forcing teenagers to try and do that, right? Because yeah. they're not allowed to have their cell phones in class or whatever. Sure. So can you imagine how distracted they are because oh they're only, they're now just imagining what's blowing up on their phone? Oh, God. They're so, so distracted. So, right? Of course and, they are. And then people are like, oh, arguing, hey, they can't have their phones because that's distracting. I was like, seriously? It is way less distracting for them to have their phone near them because the anxiety is gone. Wow. And they know what's happening on the phone as opposed to imagining the crazy of what's happening of happening on the phone. Yeah. Isn't that? But that's the terrible thing is that we should be teaching children to interact personally with one another and not worry about what's happening on the internet. Right. Because it's not real. So... Facebook isn't real. It's right. not a real place. And people go, no, it is a real place. And, and like the internet is real. And <laughs> World of Warcraft is real. And The Sims is real. And yeah. everything online is real. And I'm like, it's not real. I just feel like teaching, like t- teaching to navigate the real world though is a better way of going, right? Because yeah. it's not like, I mean, to take their phones away and say, no, you know, focus on it's just not a real world skill well the, what you do is if you, you actually are a good parent and you don't get your fucking 12 year old a goddamn computer for his fucking pocket right how can this is the thing people everybody forgets and I don't even have a smartphone because I don't deserve nice things but they're built to break <laughs> and it's just a new industry it's so that Apple can sell 1 billion more iPhones because now you've got the kids that are like I need the newest coolest iPhone if I don't get it I'm gonna die I'm gonna die if I don't have the new app the oh my god app. my kid would never he would he knows better I didn't freak out like that. (laughs) I didn't get a cell phone until I was 27. Uh, Or Mm -hmm. what year was it? Was it? it, Was it? Oh yeah, I refused to get one until I was. I had my kid. I was 27. Yeah, I was 27. Was when I got my first cell phone. I still have the same number. Uh, And okay, so this is this. We'll talk about this for a second. I used to have. I used to have a an addiction. There's a reason why I don't have TV at my house, or like internet that's good. Uh, when I was married, I had an addiction to TV that was severe. Like, mm. I didn't do anything. I didn't write. I didn't perform. I just watched, like, eight hours of TV uh-huh. a night. I'd come home from work, and I'd turn on the TV, and I'd leave it on. And I'd sometimes go to sleep in front of it. And I was like, I don't have a TV in my bedroom. That makes me a better person. But i just sleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was addicted to TV. I was also addicted to MySpace so hard that I was waking up at three in the morning to check on it because I had friends in Manchester and God forbid I not know what was going on with the 23 year olds in Manchester I had to know and it was an eight hour difference and so I was like I was obsessed with checking my profile updating things and I was a fucking adult yeah like I was I remember being 31, 32. I turned 32 and I was still kind of totally obsessed with MySpace. And I was like blogging every day and I was like, this is so good. This is so good. Like I finally am doing something. But instead of watching TV, well, I still was watching TV, but I was spending all of this time on the internet, like all of it. So when I left that life and then all of a sudden you could have a computer in your pocket, like I was addicted to it when it was a big computer in front of you (laughs) and waking up and going to the thing the concept that I could have a small computer in my pocket all day all the time is horrifying because I I would constantly I know I if I had one of these little devices I would constantly be checking Facebook I would constantly be I don't want to be on Instagram I don't want to be on Twitter I don't want to have these things ruin my life because it's anyways the only reason I'm so like hateful toward it is that I see it ruining everything. Twelve year olds like the cyberbullying. Yeah. And the I mean 
girls were terrible in high school to each other's face. And now that it's so easy to do it, it almost like takes away even more responsibility from caring about people because yeah, they're so, not I mean, real. These are all, yeah, I agree. And these are all like valid complaints, I guess. But I guess what, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, that, but that's the reality. And if we can, if we can educate with that in mind, for instance, like I still teach, I still require my students to have tangible books in my classroom. Good. Okay. They're not allowed to use the Kindle. However, I spend an entire class period explaining the brain science behind it. Sure. You know, and if they get, if they, if it's not your opinion, you know, if, if you can present the facts and, and, and how their actions it literally impact who they are. Sure. Um, it's amazing what choices then they can make. I mean, I remember being in high school and I thought I was the smartest person alive. Yeah. So, so that presenting was before them with the facts. That was before the internet. Yeah. If you presented me with the facts, I'd be like, yeah. But I mean, it was school was just propaganda back then too. Right. I know yeah. In most school, I think uh, still is like, but that's not in my classroom, but that's good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of shit for it. From the parents. And administration. I used to get a lot of shit. Um, well, when I taught high school and junior high, I was teaching special ed, so no one gave me any shit. Because <laughs> yeah. they were like, thank God for you. <laughs> Nobody else will do it. And I was like, I love these kids. They're great. And they're all, you know, uh, emotionally disturbed. They were a lot of fun. It's why I really enjoy comedians because I like taught them when they were stu- when they were in junior high I was like yeah your mom hates you she still does it's okay yeah you can't have that chip on your shoulder forever make a joke mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. uh, but no I, t- I taught those kids and in 2001 I quit teaching because of no child left behind all of a sudden everyone was in my classroom like they didn't care for four years and I was like a young kid I was like you know 22 23 24 years yeah. old teaching and then all of a sudden you know I'm 26 and I'm like, actually know what I'm doing now, finally, right? And then everybody's on my ass about everything. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Suddenly I'm supposed to teach to this test and all this stuff is changing and everyone cares all of a sudden, but not like caring in a way like, hey, we all need new books and I hate right. photocopying yeah. 1984 to like saying there's no more 1984. Now you've got to teach them these vocabulary words. Yep. And I'm like, what? I yeah, it's all of, of that there. was created by people who are not in education. Right. Right? All of these education policies are created without the consultation of anyone of the in teachers. Education. Yeah, exactly. That's so weird. <laughs> so like no child left behind and um you know that was also like created in conjunction with Pearson publications. Oh, wow. So there was money behind it too because it was yes, the, the textbooks. Tests, the tests the and the textbooks. Wow. And then on top of, of that. Course. What about like Hofflin Mifflin or whatever? Dunder. Like, not as. The, yeah, not. It's it's Pearson. Wow. Yeah. There was a new company and they wanted to. Interesting. It's They're big. Money. So like they're like the major textbook company for, for schools. Wow. But the thing is like the largest states dictate the content in a textbook so california texas texas oh and they're bigoted racist fucks texas drives the textbook content market wow wow yeah that's really interesting that's why i don't use textbooks i I do not use textbooks wow 
Do you I just, just use primary a, sources. You, and you create a syllabus and you tell them like, here's yeah. the books that we're going from. Yeah, well, yeah. the literature is pretty easy, but like history, like there's no way I would ever teach uh, using a textbook. Wow. Wow. Because they're all sl- horribly slanted. Of course they are. I remember vividly when I was a junior in high school, uh, our social studies teacher guy, mm-hmm. he did this really cool thing and I'll never forget it. He staged this thing in the classroom, right? Where there was like a fight kind of thing, but it was staged, so it was it was all fake. Uh, but he had all of us at the end write about what we saw what we thought happened from our point of view. Uh-huh. And everybody's thing was different. Some people thought one kid was the aggressor. Some people thought the other person was the aggressor. Some people thought the teacher was the aggressor. Some people described what they saw first and it was different and it was all because and then we had this big conversation about bias and about perspective and like literal perspective like where you're sitting when you're watching the event and also like cultural perspective or who are your friends? Are you better friends with this person or that person? Like all that stuff came into play and I was like what? Yeah. Yeah, and it that's was one great. of those like cool, what a great teacher. Yeah, yeah. He was uh he was a good guy. And so I was like oh, yeah. Mr. Alt. Um anyways, it was uh because that whoever and who went, who wins the fight often gets to say what the outcome is or I mean and next week what do we have coming Columbus Day oh yeah which was when we were growing up it was meant one thing and now it's Indigenous Peoples Day and it's like yeah I mean what's that African proverb I was just thinking of like um, until the story of the hunt is told by the lion ah oh, that's that's very true uh, it will always glorify the hunter that's the African proverb yeah. Yeah, the poor lion. Until the the story of the hunt is told by the lion, it will always glorify the hunter. Well, hey, the thing about lion meat, it's probably not that good. Why would you want to kill a lion? <laughs> like, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I when they cut off the head of a lion and they show horrible. it on the wall, I'm oh, like, oh, fuck you guys. Oh, what are you doing? So you didn't even eat the lion. You yeah. got to eat the lion. Yeah. No one so wants to No one eats cat. I guess people do eat cats. They, they do. Yeah. I mean, if it's the available meats, people eat squirrel too. And those things are, those are the cutest of rodents. <laughs> I hear they're pretty gamey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you, are do you subscribe to any of that vegetarianism stuff? Yeah, I will. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I was, I was a practicing vegetarian for probably eight years. Wow. And, um, but then I, I, um, in February ended up in like a deep deep spiral of depression huh and didn't eat anything for several months for the most part and and so it's weird coming out of that and and just paying attention to my what my body wants i guess does it want meat so on occasion yeah i really but i avoid red meat i like don't eat red meat and i don't eat pork um but i will eat fish or chicken mostly fish yeah. But it's on occasion, yeah, chicken. And it and it's it's not from is it because oh poor animals or is it I'm trying to save the planet or is it Yeah, I guess it's it's more specific to like my body. Ah. Uh. Um I I do find it horrifying. Like it, and that the cattle industry and all of that, but that that goes back all the way back to like when did we start becoming an evil destructive society? It's when we decided to all live together in cities right. and farm animals and plants, right? So Sure. It's still horrific today. Yeah, poor poor animals. I used to be vegetarian as well uh, for 13 years and then 
uh, I gave that up. Why did you give it up? Um, I overcooked. I for my uh, ex-husband's it was a birthday or it was a something special, and I bought a really expensive steak, a T-bone steak, which is one side is the sirloin strip and the other side is the filet mignon. How lovely! Super thick, super lovely. And I bought it for him, and I was going to cook it for him for this very special meal. But I hadn't eaten or, or cooked meat in so long, and I overcooked the fuck out of it. And mm. I felt, you know, and it was like a thirty-dollar steak or something insane, right? And I felt. Horrible. I was like, I can never be a real cook if I don't start eating meat. I if I don't know how to deal deal with protein, and so I just started eating meat. Now with great abandon, I just. But I, I mean, I, I'm a, I have a soft heart for animals, and I can't look at dead things in the face. Like even if I see like a smashed cat or a dog or a bird on the street, I, I can't. I have to like shield my eyes away from it. And even frogs as a child when I'd see dead frogs on the street flattened toads or whatever I always I really don't deal well with death um, at all not even I mean I just can't deal with it so but I can certainly eat a dead animal. It's funny, like every year at Thanksgiving, I make a turducken, which I I do it a little differently. I debone all three birds um, and then I wrap them up together. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, turkey, duck, and chicken. And when I I always start with the duck because it's the most uh, difficult kind of to debone. And it's also the most difficult because like every time I unwrap it and take it out of the bag, I feel like, I know it doesn't have a neck and a head, but I still feel like it's hard for me to start it. But then once I'm in, I'm fine. And I can yeah. be like, I'm but like, it's I, a duck. it's a dead, it's dead duck. dead duck and it's a dead chicken and it's a dead yeah. turkey and they're yeah. big birds and they were alive and now I'm taking them apart. And until I sort of cut out their backbone and get into it, it's hard for, it's hard. But once I get in, I'm, I'm like, and once I've done the duck, I'm like, I'm fine. I can do the chicken and the, and the turkey. It ain't no thing. It ain't nothing. It's no big deal. But it's hard in the beginning for me just because it's. I can see that. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to deal with, and I have, I love, love, love eating lobster, but I hate, hate, hate murdering it. Like, it's really hard for me. Do they, they, like, they scream or something? No, it's, um, it's when they're their protein is coagulating because of the heat and they're it's creating space in between their meat and the shell and when mm. that escapes through the water it sounds like screaming okay. but it's just the water it's the air being created in between the it's basically creating like a weird little vacuum under the water and then it's it, it escapes it's makes that crazy sound Did you hear about the, the, like france passed a weird law like specifically in cooking lobster <laughs> i was just thinking that like you're not allowed to freeze it first oh that's the what's the best way to do it right well apparently that's like the most according to france the most inhumane way of, oh. of doing it and so they outlawed it like you can't freeze well i don't freeze them solid i i put them in the freezer while the water is yeah, boiling do that. to chill them out though but the thing is that if you it's like you put them into hibernation i was taught that the most humane way is to when you put your water on the boil yeah you take your friend and you stop letting the cat play with him <laughs> and then you put him in the freezer yeah because it turns them it makes them turn like it doesn't kill them they're still alive but it like makes them sort of hibernate and then when your water is boiling yeah you throw them in and then they die really quickly because right. you just threw them into a pot of boiling water. So it's water. like you go to sleep, you go to take a nap. And then, and you're, then dead. you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> the other way to do it is you can 
um, insert a knife in the right point behind their brain and you just like put it in their brain and like twist it and you're like, all right, they're dead. But that's hard for me too. And then some people, which is even worse, some people will just rip their tail Uh, off, but then they're super still alive. So that's, that's not nice at all because now they're alive and they're, but then some people say they're the cockroaches of the sea. So why do we care? Yeah. They are really big bugs, right? For the most part. Yeah. So France won't let you hibernate. <laughs> France won't let you hibernate. Come, it's against French. the law. I love that. Like they have, like, <laughs> and they invented foie gras, and yet now they're against the whole lobster thing. And it's like a whole law, gras. right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's just dedicated it's to the lobster. Well, they have. I'm sure they have foie gras laws now. You're, yeah, like you're maybe. not allowed to. They used to nail their little um, Weber's to the floor and not and let them like move, but pump stuff into them. Well, over. but the thing is, I've seen the quote-unquote humane um, foie gras farms and you train the ducks to like this stuff they like it like mm. when he brings a little food bell out like they line up. I've seen ducks excited ducks running up to him they just put their little neck up and you put the little thing down there and you force feed them. they just they're like yeah feed me feed me feed me I, Wow. They look like happy ducks to me. That's like more like 1984 in a way. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Except for ducks. <laughs> well, you train them to love it and then they love it. Right. I mean, I guess that's, you know, it's the old frog in the pot thing. If you turn, put the frog Slowly in. Slowly boiling the, bo- yeah, water. They, yeah. You never. They won't jump out. They just no. chill out in there. They're like, like a hot tub hey, until you're good. <laughs> I mean, I, they're frogs are tough. But then that goes back to the, the, uh, argument that humans we're um we're gonna make ourselves extinct in like what 200 million years total and the alligators been around for 300 million years and they have the brain the size of a walnut so maybe it's better to be dumber simple simple yeah maybe uh, maybe uh, and that's me being biased maybe alligators aren't dumb yeah they're just simple like there's less yeah, there's less to occupy your mind, I guess, or I don't know. Eat it's, fish. Yeah. <laughs> Murder good. moving things. Yes. I mean, sometimes that's how I feel. Murder moving things. It's <laughs> perfect. Uh, oh, good. We have, we have, we have visitors. Uh, yes. Uh, this is exciting on Some Call Me Tim. The second hour, uh, Sima Lieberman is going to be doing some interviews. She's currently training for her own podcast. It's very cool. She brings people of different cultures together and they have frank conversations about race. Hmm. That's cool. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, but we are, just to remind the audience, this is Some Call Me Tim, and I am with Rachel D. and we've been discussing morality and evil and... Humanity. Humanity and Jesus. education and Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I, I was... Lobster. I was, lobster. <laughs> I was, and, you know, here, I get it. Like, the, 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 the Jews don't eat the lobster they don't eat the shellfish and I really think a lot of the food laws from Leviticus are contextual like you know pigs a filthy animal they root in their own shit people often like threw human shit out with where the pigs lived mm-hmm. like they're dirty you mm-hmm. can get and you can get salmonella you can get all kinds of weird things from pigs also the sea getting um, lobster is the cockroach of the sea and and they could be eating all kinds of carrion and dead things that's like what they do there are these um, crabs that are prized by the Chinese and they grow in the Indian Ocean at surprise the mouth of the Ganges River now why would they (laughs) have claws that are like the size of my head why because they eat dead people Uh, so I get it right like because they're at the mouth of the Ganges River and the the Indians uh, they 
it's very like when you die you go to the Ganges River they put you in there and so at the mouth of the Ganges River are these huge crabs and yeah I get it like why there could be a law against eating shellfish because they're bottom feeders yeah and they eat dead people well, there's something good that came out of Leviticus. Sense, you know, there you go. There you go. Leviticus is good. <laughs> the and rest of it trash. And, but <laughs> and I, yeah, I think there's a lot of contextual biblical references and things that we believe now that happened because of, I don't know, the times yeah. and war. And nobody could read either. Like, this whole reading thing didn't really, like, when were women allowed to start reading? And, and if you knew how to read, weren't you a witch? You're a witch. Or, I mean, you were in the temple. There were, there were, there were women in the temple who read. But I think other than that. Right? And judges, I guess, in the, in the Joshua Judges. Yeah, Ruth, yeah, yeah. In the, there was a judge named Deborah. So there were there women. Were some that were, there were some educated women. There were some educated women. But they were usually, like, probably royalty, mm, you know? Sure. Um, cuz like the judges the judges that's a that's actually like a tribe that were the judges right in oh. in in the Jewish faith before Christ and then so like there was a whole tribe that were like considered the judges oh, like, and there was oh, a whole tribe right, that was like the 13 like, tribes yeah, so like yeah. the levites yeah yeah yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. yeah 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 Anyways. Well, I thought when I was little and I was growing up, I thought because my last name is Benjamin, I always, especially when I was going to Christian school, I was like, oh, I'm one of the original 13 tribes, tribe of Benjamin, favorite son of um, Jacob, and then buddy of Joseph, like the whole Jewish people were saved because Benjamin, because Jacob still had love for his brother, even though the other one sold him into slavery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's interesting part of the Bible. And I always took a lot of pride in that. And I was like, oh, Benjamin. But then I found out that my family are liars when they came across <laughs> on the boat from Russia. They changed our name from Rakovsky to Benjamin because they wanted to sound Jewish, but they didn't want to sound Russian Jew. They were like, we don't want to be Russians. <laughs> We'd rather just be Jewish. So they changed it to Benjamin. How did you find that out? Uh, my brother did one of those 23andMe kind of things. And then the Rakowski just showed up? Like, Rakowski, yeah. It just all it came up. He, he, did it. he was doing the family tree and he was going backward and oh. we found that we're not, we weren't, we became Benjamins in the 1880s. So there are a lot of us who were Rakovskis. It's just funny the way we changed names yeah, and how that becomes more American or whatever. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Rakovsky. So I'm not even, I, so the whole time I was taking all this pride in, in a thing that wasn't even true, but I guess, I don't know. Wasn't well, that interesting that like, like I think, you know, nothing's true, right? Or any or everything's everything, true. It's yeah. like, it's like whatever you believe, is that true? You know? Right. <laughs> and there's, a, I read a weird thing about memory that every time we remember something, we actually change it because you're different when you're remembering it. Therefore, you're bringing new stuff to your old memory. So we can actually have memories that we think are real that aren't even really oh, like yeah, that. Totally. They didn't even really happen that way. Yeah. Which I'm I like, that. what? I definitely think that I've made up some things for so long that now I believe them and I don't know that I made them up. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and then that's the other thing is that I have memories that I know that they really happened. But now that I don't hang out with any of those people, because it was like my ex-husband and stuff, I'm like, did they? They happened. Those things happened. I remember them. Mm-hmm. But then is it is memory real like and does it I mean honestly does it matter also right like because what's it's gone like that's that doesn't exist anymore whatever it was right but then but we should but we should dwell on the past because then how are we I think that's one of the main problems is that because our memories are so short we're allowed to be propagandized so easily oh yeah because we don't remember what whoever said yesterday like or we're so easily distracted and now it's like every six 
seconds, look at your phone yeah. and what's going on and everyone has access to all the news, but is the news real? And what if it isn't real? Does it matter? Like it's already gone and do we remember it or yeah. do we care? <laughs> I, I think it's more like, like giving myself permission to like not remember things that I don't need to remember or that shake sure. me, you know, in a way like those things are right. Well, I mean, isn't that the goal of treating PTSD is to help you not dwell on things that were incredibly traumatic? Yeah. yeah. Like it's sometimes it's better to sometimes it's better to forget. Or is it? That's the thing. Like, (laughs) I mean, and that's why the people have been using CBD in um, post-traumatic stress disorder therapy is that it it makes you so in the moment and so like fucking zen because you're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You're thinking about right now. And that's what you're thinking about. And that can help you move on from past trauma. Uh-huh. And but then it's like, do you want to move on from past trauma? Like, do you? If, I think that might be why I like being on stage. I think because that that's it's like so it's immediate. like that, right? Like right. you can't be in the past or in the like you have to be present when you're right. on stage, right? Yeah, sure. You know, like it's for like it's a, there's no other way to be. I rarely yeah. remember my stage I rarely remember stage time I rarely remember what I said that's why I record mine because I have to listen back because I'm like wait what what yeah yeah uh, well when I, I don't record when I'm not I mean here obviously everything's yeah. recorded so I'm like there's enough of me recorded that I don't listen to but like I didn't record that but it's probably better that I didn't record last night because I was pretty wasted there was, was I, some funny shit was I was, was I going saying? on too long in between people no. Okay, good. No, I just I, I don't want to be a bad host and no, like go on too was, long in between people. Yeah, it felt it felt like yeah, you were like maybe thirty seconds or whatever. Okay, good, yeah, good, good. That wasn't like it okay. didn't no, I didn't feel like you were dragging on at all. Okay, good. Yeah. And you were super entertaining. Oh, so good. Okay, too. good. <laughs> I don't remember just remember like Crystal saying that the was it Crystal that said that the Marines looked like they were wearing members only jackets? <laughs> that was the great. part that just cracked me up. Well they they <laughs> they had their that's true, the Marines were there. I didn't make fun of them, did I? Oh my god, no, I'm such but a you, jerk. You, I think you were just uh oh, wait, 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 you said something like they reminded you of summer camp. Oh god. <laughs> 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 You guys remind me of summer camp. <laughs> I think is what you said. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't even know why though. I don't either. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Woo. It was a good time. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al- alcohol is like the worst thing for me, mm. but it's also I love it so much. And I mean, as long as I was entertaining. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Totally. That's my biggest fear. But well, I'm gonna ask you what your biggest fears though. But my biggest, one of my biggest fears is that. And, and I think I learned it from my time with cocaine because I was so annoying when I was on cocaine. And I I just worry when I'm being on stage if I'm being annoying. Like, um. if I'm not getting it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, when you... like. So whenever I was, I don't do coke anymore because it's the devil and it costs too much money. Yeah, and it makes, I like having my emotions. Yeah. Well, it makes me feel like I'm the smartest, best person in every word that drips from my honey's li- honeyed lips is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I always tell people it turns me into an asshole. Yeah. It turns me into an asshole too. Absolutely. But that's the thing is I've, and that's my biggest fear now is that I could be like that and go on and on and on and not be entertaining and just be annoying. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that experience. Like, I feel that way on, like, if you're, I'm from on that on stage, I don't feel empathetic. 
Uh. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't even sense the room. Right. I, you know? Sometimes I can't either. Right. And yeah. that's like, what the, f- why am I even up here? Right. <laughs> well, but for me, it was like, wait, this isn't what it's supposed to be. But in your defense, being in front of comedians is a soulless, horrible thing because <laughs> <'cause> they're <laughs> never going to laugh because if they do. But I've done that in the they, show even like, and I was still like. With real people, yeah, and and, and yeah. they were laughing even, and I oh, didn't, and I, but, but I didn't even didn't know if care. they were okay, or like it didn't, yeah, it was weird. Mm. So, what's your biggest fear? <laughs> My biggest fear, uh, not being funny. Oh wow, has it always been that, or did that recently change because of the comedy thing? Uh, it's I think it was broader. It's gotten more specific, but it's always been like I. To, to, to just be to be boring like to be not entertaining to be to yeah, like sure. like similar fears yeah yeah that was I mean I when I was born and this is true and it's silly but when I was born the first thing my mom said when they put me in her arms was what a funny girl oh that's so nice which was weird <laughs> really like yeah. what, it's sweet but weird yeah right? that is a little weird and and but yeah I don't know if that's where, did she mean funny looking? Was she being no, she like being mean? like like humorous? Like huh. she called me a comedian when she, when I was born. Basically, wow, that's you were christened with the and knowledge. That's great. Yeah, yeah, and I was always like the um, like silly clown kid. You know, there you go. I always had to be funny because I was I was fat, mm-hmm. and um, or everyone told me I was fat, so I just believed it, and so I was like, well, the fat kid needs to be funny. Yeah, I was like, I if was, I'm not yeah. skinny and pretty to be popular, I better be funny. My fifth grade teacher used to call me Meat and Potatoes. Wow, that was her nickname for me. We have a lot in common. It yeah. was like she she locked me in a closet in the basement of the school for two hours because I talked too much. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is some post traumatic stress. <laughs> I know, right? Some more weed. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody, this has been Rachel D here hey, hey. on Some Call Me Tim, and uh, we're going to wrap it up. And then the second hour is going to be super exciting uh, with Simon Lieberman. She has some people in here, and we're going to play the breaker in between. So please stay with us. But uh, Rachel. Yes. Any, any last words you want to tell people where you can be seen next performing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am going to be at the setup October 11th. Oh, that's great. And I'm going to be at Flappers in LA. They do a show on Thursday now? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. The setup um, October 11th. And then Flappers in LA this Friday. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Flappers. Hey, that's cool. That's good. Yeah, it's that's, fun. It's fun. It's a yeah. good venue. Yeah. Uh, and what, you talk to Yvette? I talk to Yvette. No. She's the she's the person who I thought put I don't, flappers. Yeah, yeah. That, I went to an audition and then oh, I got great. an email. So cool. Yeah, um, right yeah it's gonna be fun. And I have like a bar show there in West Hollywood or something too, which will be fun. Awesome, awesome. So hey, if you're down in LA, check out Rachel D. Uh, and you can listen to past podcasts here and here as well. Thank you so much for Thank talking you. about morality and all great. these cool things. I want to come back. It was Yay! Fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a second hour. Uh, thanks guys for joining us on Some Call Me Tim. Like I said, stay tuned for the second hour. We're just going to play some station IDs in the interim, but we'll be right back here on mutinyradio.fm. Yay! That was great. So, that was so fun. Bring up the, let's bring up the CD. CD on the board.
You can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Hey, Mutineers, Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up a excellent mix of jazz latin gospel hip-hop and traditional folk ballads great stuff check it out labor and love is every saturday 10 a.m to 12 p.m serve somebody out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for is <laughs> in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) 
flat, black, plastic, vinyl, records, round, played, mixed. All for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scott Walker. Amazing artist, music DJ, vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Hey, comedy fans, don't miss Comedy Day Sunday, September 16th at Robin Williams Meadow in Golden Gate Park, noon till 5. It's free. You'll see 44 or more comedians. 44 comedians, five hours. That's over eight and a half comedians an hour. That's silly. Ever see a half a comedian? Yes, a half wit. Not funny, but Comedy Day will be a guaranteed laugh a minute. Let's see, a laugh a minute times five hours. That's 300 jokes. That's a lot of jokes, folks. <laughs> 
So why are these people laughing? I don't know. Maybe because they know Comedy Day will be better than the shoelaces of Madagascar exhibit. Better than the paperweight wearers of the World Convention. Better even than the alien sheep herding contest. And speaking of herding, heard any good ones lately? Okay, not funny again, but Comedy Day will be. Don't miss punchlines like these. A frog in a blender. In your hat. To keep his pants up. Comedy Day is worth the price of a mission because it's free. Nothing to buy. No operators waiting for your call. Void. We're prohibited by law. Comedy Day. Sunday, September 16th at Robin Williams Meadow in Golden Gate Park. It's free. Visit ComedyDay.org for complete details. Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Am I ready? Hi, everyone. This is Simma Lieberman, the inclusionist, with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different cultures to have comfortable conversations about race and bring race to the people. If you have ever wanted to have a conversation about race, but were afraid of saying the wrong thing or afraid of not being heard, then this podcast is for you. Listen up. I have two really cool guests today. I have Peter Kovash and I have Patrick Tindana. And uh, I will read Patrick's, I'll, I'll read Patrick's um, bio. And then Patrick is actually going to read Peter's bio. So... 
Originally from Ghana, West Africa, Patrick Tindana has honed his skills in diversity and inclusion, program management, and cross-cultural communication across the globe. Whether it was working to improve public health policy in the New York City government, where I'm from, the United Nations mediating disputes in court, or coordinator of diversity initiatives at a Wall Street law firm, Patrick has always worked to empower the underrepresented. He moved to San Francisco to help tech companies be part of the new frontier of diversity and inclusion. Patrick enjoys cultural and gastro tourism and won't say no to apple pie a la mode. And neither will I. So now, um, Patrick... Please read pictures. You know, I actually like the sound of Patrick. Okay, so so Peter was born in Hungary and raised in Algeria and Canada. Peter has contributed, uh, has combined his multicultural upbringing and love of travel with business, establishing CQ Savvy with his friend and fellow trainer, Anubhav Jain, uh, where they help leaders and teams develop their cultural intelligence to be able to relate and work across cultures uh, effectively. He also helps immigrants and expats become competent and successful in their new country and culture. Uh, he has co-founded four startup four tech startups, including V12 Software, an SAS uh, provider for car dealers. Uh, Peter is passionate about travel and relating to people, no matter where they're from. And he currently resides also in San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, thank Glad you. Glad to meet you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And first, let me tell everybody, I'm recording for the first time at Radio Mutiny. This is my debut here at this recording studio. And I met Patrick and Peter at through Start Out, which is an organization for LGBTQ and friends, entrepreneurs, small businesses, and startups. And I'm on the planning board. So this is how I met these two guys. Well, first, I'm going to have you add anything else you would like to add about yourselves because people can't see you. No. So would you give some demographic descriptions, what you look like, your age, your culture, all of that. Uh, So let's start with you, Peter. Would you describe yourself? So I just turned 38, which, uh, so I guess, uh, middle. hmm. Some people would say I'm still young, but it feels like I'm approaching the middle age quickly. And uh, I'm tall. Currently bald on the top, but I have a beard, which is rare, really the case. So if you see me on the street, I'm usually mostly shaven, and um, yeah, just tall, Hungarian-looking, maybe. <laughs> what, what does Hungarian-looking sound like? Look like? <laughs> I don't know. Some people that I've come across sometimes at the bus stop in Montreal or somewhere else sometimes look at me and tell me that my facial structure is very Hungarian or at least Eastern European. I'm not sure what they mean exactly, but uh, I guess most some people have commented that I look Central or Eastern European. Okay, so and you're you're like a white dude, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. You know, we got to be real here. You know, so in case you know they see you walking down the street, they'll know immediately that it's you. Okay. Yes, exactly. Passion. So um, I am. Not a white dude yet. Uh, I, <laughs> I was uh, uh, born and raised in Ghana, as you heard. Um, I am also quite tall, uh, 6'2", but my little brother um, is 6'5". Whoa. Uh, and he played for a while with um, basketball in Ghana. 
I do not know how to play basketball. Um, as you can tell from my voice, probably uh, many people can insinuate, but I do have a very um, feminine sounding voice. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. Some people have just said, oh, when I was growing up, people would call my home, and when I picked up the phone, they would just think it's my, it was my mom speaking. And so they'll tell me all these really, really intense things, and I'll be like, sorry, I just get you, mom. Um, and then I'll get my mom on the phone. Anyway, that's another story. But yes, um, I moved here because um, 15 years ago because it's, it's illegal to be gay in Ghana. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> The, more, the many times I talk about this, uh, it sounds as though I'm very like removed from it. But it's 71 countries that it was. It's illegal to be gay. Um, I think the colonial masters did a wonderful job in that. Actually, in America, it was illegal to be gay until 2003. So Lawrence v. Texas was the last uh, the law that basically scrapped all the anti-sodomy laws in America because America was also like Ghana, colonized by the British. Um, yeah, I'm pretty pretty black. Uh, pretty proud of that pretty homosexual, very proud of that too. Pretty Ghanaian, proud of that as well. Talk about intersectionality. Well, I think we are gonna have a really good show. <laughs> I so, think so too. My first question to either one of you is, why is talking, if talking about race is important, and I assume you think it's important because you agreed to be on the show. Wait, hold on a second, Sima. Could you explain to, how, what, what do you look like? Oh, well, here's what I look like for those people who, who usually people will see my picture. But I am tall. I am five foot eight around. Yeah. I'm white. I'm Jewish. I have dark hair, mm -hmm. short, dark hair. Um, and I am a baby boomer. Excellent. So. Quite the, quite the networker also. I watched you. <laughs> well, that's how I met you. Patrick and I sat next to each other at at a formal event. Yes. We were in our dress-up clothes. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So tell me, why do you think it's important to talk about race? And why is it important to you? Tell me something. Like, why is it important to you in your personal lives? And we don't want a lot of dead space. So one of you just jump in. Well, I guess, so... Race is so complex, and, and I really wasn't fully aware of um, how complex race was until I moved to America. Because in Ghana, I was just part of the majority. We all looked alike. Um, so the doctor was black, the president was black, the chiropractor was black, the, everyone was black. So I, I was much more focused on my sexuality mm -hmm. and how that made me different. Um, and. America actually taught me a lot about my blackness and, and, and really um, recognizing that people outside, um, just general people would just uh, prescribe certain attributes and, and opportunities based on the level of melanin you have in your skin. And that was very new to me. Um, so in many ways I came to America to have freedoms as a gay man, but then soon realized that there were certain limitations just because of the pigment of my skin as well. It's important to me to talk about race, basically, well, just, <laughs> it's important to talk about, about race. One of the many reasons is to um, connect with people, uh, because it's quite the barrier. People are very uncomfortable when they talk about race, uh, probably because America has such amazing PR. Um, 
because until I got here, I didn't realize really about the history of America and, and, and how uh, in many ways structural bias has uh, continued to this present day. And so people are uncomfortable. Um, and so because I like to know people and get to um, just really connect on um, uh, um, a common sense of human identity, um, you cannot really move ahead without talking about these biases. Hey, thank you so much. And I agree. So many times people are afraid. Now, so many times people are afraid of talking about race. Tends to be more white people, but other people too. We talk about race amongst ourselves, amongst our own groups, but there's not enough conversation across groups, across race. And if we don't have those conversations, we're doomed to racial silos because people will say, oh, I want to say the wrong thing, so they say nothing. Oh, I don't want to make a mistake, so they say nothing. And then people and then people of color go, well, whoa, I'm invisible. Nobody's saying anything to me. So mm. it's when people put a judgment like, oh, I don't want to see color. Well, really? Then how do you know what kind of scar, what kind of sweater to get somebody? How are you going to know what looks good on their skin? So let's talk about you, Peter. Tell us your story. Yeah, well, I find that humans are very good at finding excuses <laughs> to to divide people, mm -hmm. and I th I feel that race is a construct that has been used to divide and on, on a greater scale, scale, what happens is that with systemic racism and, and what comes out of it, you have a lot of people who live in a circle of, of poverty, violence and, and misery and, and, and of lack of hope. And I just feel that nobody deserves that. And um, on the other side, when you break down this barrier and there's many other barriers and, and, and this is the one we're talking about today, then you can connect on what you have in common. And when you, when you have that, I mean, such great friendships and just magical things can happen when people connect uh, on what's common. And then from there, you can build that connection. So could you give us an example? I mean, just looking around me, like when I have a party, like I had a birthday party a few, a few years ago, a surprise party. And one of my friends who is French uh, made a comment is like, you know, <laughs> there was such diversity at your place. <laughs> And I remember I was at one of his parties and it was mostly French people who were there because <laughs> they were French. And uh, You mean French white? Yeah, that's what they were. Also, French yeah, white. yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they were like right. minor variations. It was from uh, light no, skin to very light skin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so that ha happened to be, you know, I think mostly white, maybe one person who was maybe uh, darker. And so I, I remember that and they're like, yeah. For them, if they were in, they were all there because the commonality was they were all French and they were all transferred from a job or whatnot. In in my party, what brought us together was that we we're friends and whatever connection we had built, and this was across cultures, across race. There might have been maybe two, three people at a time from the same country out of maybe fifteen or twenty. So I mean, this is. I mean, I didn't even pay attention to this until he brought that up. Mm. And in my other dealings, in, in my companies and whatnot, there's always been a very diverse team and challenges came from it. For example, yeah. we had um, a Chinese American engineer and I had to figure out using my, my cultural intelligence, just how American or how Chinese he is on the various aspects you know, of dealing communication or whatnot, so we can work together well. Mm. There's some challenges, but once we've overcome them, we brought together our diverse team to be more effective and come up with better solutions than um, a team where everybody thinks the same way would, would do. So mm -hmm. just on, on from my work, work side, and personally, I mean, among my closest friends, they all look different than me. Mm -hmm. I have to say, Peter, this is great to hear because um, as you were talking, I was thinking a little bit more about how um, 
I had a conversation in grad school, many of these conversations, because usually I was one of the few people of color, um, in whether it's academic institutions or just work. But I had a conversation, I remember this was in 2013, and this was one of my good friends, uh, and he happens to be white, and he was sitting in the cafeteria, and then I sat next to him, and we were talking about something of the news, and then he says, you know, what is really uh, upsetting me now is that I feel as though we have few opportunities in America than... Um, than we had in the past, which is always interesting to me because I love American history, the sordid bits and everything, the wonderful, all of it. And so I said, in the past, where? What do you mean? And he said, well, you know, like my parents' generation in the 50s, you know, people could afford, could survive on minimum wage or they could afford a house and car. And I think now it's a little different. And he happens to be a white man, but he also happened to be Jewish. I said, in the 50s? Well, in the 50s, so... I'm not from here, but I, in the 50s, people of color weren't having the same, didn't have the same opportunities. And you as a Jewish man, there's, there are many, um, how do you call suburbs that wouldn't allow you. Yeah. Right? And suburbs, countries. <laughs> suburbs, clubs. countries wouldn't allow you to. So it was interesting. You know what was interesting about that conversation? Because it wasn't a preaching moment for yeah. me. It was, it was a conversation between friends. And then I saw a light bulb and he goes, oh my God, you're right. America's PR is excellent because when you look at the 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 um, the commercials, I mean, people are all interested in Mad Men. You know, it just sounds so very glamorous and just like bind yourself with the the, the woman <laughs> you bind yourself with the corsets. Yeah. But like because people, the PR was just so great, and it's really all the fifties that the what we are looking at now um, as fifty as fifties as the golden age was really a marketing genius, really to oh, make yeah. people believe that this was the ideal. Um, but I also want to just say that there are people who don't want to have the conversation about race because it's traumatic, and 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 that's fine because you what you don't want is to um, completely completely have someone deepen their own traumas. There are many of us who would love to have the conversation about race, but for me, there are also certain topics that I just won't talk about because I realized I would rather, I would sooner have a conversation with someone who is on the fence about race than someone who's just a self-proclaimed you know, racist, because that's not, my, my time is better spent somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, and there's other people that could talk to people like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll talk to anybody about race. And um, I always tell my friends, like somebody asked me the other day, did I feel guilty? I'm like, no, I don't feel guilty for nothing. But I do feel that as a white person, if I care, mm -hmm. then I feel like I am responsible to do that, that I care and I want to do and I want to do what I'm doing like my show mm -hmm. to help eliminate fear of differences and eliminate um, hate. Absolutely. And at the same time, as a white person, there's some white people that I can talk to mm -hmm. that maybe a person of color can't talk to. Mm -hmm. And then later on, then they need to talk to that person of color to hear that person's experience. But they need to talk to me first so I can like, maybe open their brain um, and have them see things in a certain way. And then, but each level has to talk to each level down. So if I talk to somebody who maybe is willing to learn, but they don't really know, then they can talk to somebody else who's willing to learn but don't really know. And then they keep on talking, keep on talking, keep on talking to people who are maybe a little more racist. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then we have to bring people's uh, level up. But I think that what happens too often is that oftentimes 
some people, mm-hmm. not all, but yeah. some people who tend to be white, not always, yeah. you know, but tend to, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't like too many generalizations, um, don't want to talk about it because I think like it's a bad thing. Like mm-hmm. if I call attention to race, oh, it's a bad thing. I'm right. like, no, it's just one part of somebody's identity. Like when my son was little, there were two Juliers in his class. <laughs> one one person's skin was dark brown and the other person's skin was light. The other person actually was his cousin who was black, but she had blonde hair and blue eyes. So I said something about Julia and my son goes, oh, which Julia? You mean the brown Julia or the white Julia? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, the, the brown skin Julia. And then mm-hmm. later on, we you know, he got to learn about different things like intersectionality and, mm-hmm. and culture and you know what people look like. So that always what their culture is. So I think that's important. And, and I want to ask the two of you, since you are immigrants mm-hmm. and you weren't raised here in the U.S., so obviously if you're immigrants, so what you see or your observations can be very different. Mm-hmm. Do you think that what's going on right now with immigration and the way they're separating families, does that and who they're separating, does that have maybe a little bit of a racist tint? <laughs> or tinge or whatever the word is it's very heavy very packed um peter do you want to try this i mean or? who's getting stopped on the street I, i'm just curious i mean what do you you, you know so you yeah okay so um let's truth, be real here well yeah we, we 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 can be real and 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 the reality is that uh, brown people for centuries have been marginalized just because of the amount of melanin they have in their bodies um, we've heard um, certain people talk about disparagingly about people from uh, developing nations. For many years, we're called third world nations. Um, we've heard. Um, I am a. I've lived also in Europe. I lived in Denmark for um, four months uh, for grad school studying abroad, and it was an interesting experience because when I left America and came. When I left Ghana and came to America, I recognized that, that I had certain privileges. The privilege being that I wasn't born in this country. And so, and because I sound like this, uh, and because I also happen to be a gay person, somehow many white people were not threatened by me. Huh. They had just assumed, because of the systemic biases in this country, um, I had just gotten off a plane where certain qualities had been ascribed to me just because of who I was. And it took me a while to just recognize that many people of color in this country, while while I face a lot of uh, prejudice as well, many people of color in this country do not have the privileges that I have. And it's it's up to us to, um, to call it out. So when children are being put in cages, we uh, we claim to be an Abrahamic nation. <laughs> we claim to uh, care about people. It's it, that, it's like what would you what what would what would Jesus do if you, that's what you believe in? <laughs> really, if if if, if 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 you can go to bed at night um, and, and and feel okay that children are being traumatized. So this is just a small part of life, right? It's it's people are being traumatized. We don't know the long term effects. Of, on that. Um, and history has taught that over and over again that, especially American history, we've tried this many times, the Japanese internments happen. We've yeah. tried this also in, in um, you've tried this also in uh, in Europe uh, during the Holocaust as well. You've, yes, it, it, sir, it, it, it happened with black people in, in, in America. And, and it's just, it's, so the government will only do what the people allow the government to do. Um, And so if you think it's okay and you can get up on Sunday and go to church or get up on Friday and go to, then good, 
good on you <laughs> but it's 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 pretty scary um it's a very scary time but i do have i must say i do have hope in in, in the process because for something like the women's march has brought together people like i've never seen before in my lifetime because for the first time LGBTQ people, uh, women, people of color, Muslims, uh, progressives and moderates, uh, people from all over, anyone who's on the straight, white, able-bodied, Christian male, um, and many other allies are banding together saying, we want equality. We just yeah. want to be treated like There's human There's a whole beings. lot of straight yeah. white Christian males on the margins. Absolutely. Yeah. So Peter, what's your, tell me your, what's your observation? What are you thinking? So when it comes to race, in what we've seen happen with the, for example, the children and everything, I think one aspect is people who are doing these things, it's it's easy to, to just say it's my job. So mm-hmm. in past yeah. wars, we've, we've seen terrible things where they finally woke up, they were like, oh, I can't believe I did that, and, and terrible things. The other side is when somebody doesn't look like you mm-hmm. and you don't have a certain level of, of awareness or empathy or whatnot, or, or, you, ha- or you haven't socialize with those people who, who who look like those these people you're dealing with then it's easy to to come up with an excuse it's like maybe consciously or subconsciously so when you take away that little kid who's a few, a few years old and put them in, in handcuffs i mean if that was a kid who looked like your kid then even some of those guards whatnot would wake up but exactly. the, but this is one of the big gaps and mm-hmm. and this is the source of of many atrocities and, and just bad things happening across and unfortunately, this happens in so many aspects, sometimes in a more subtle way, sometimes less. Like, for example, um, when it comes to, to the, the Women's March, there were great achievements, mm-hmm. but there were also some, some of the groups that felt like maybe the majority felt like, oh, they achieved something, and they stopped fighting while for some, from some of the minorities who are in that overall group yep. did not achieve the, um, the goals or the, or the levels of freedom or whatnot that they were seeking. Mm-hmm. So there's always this divide based on somebody who thinks differently, looks differently, and, and looks are the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Because from a distance, you know, some these people is just, some, sorry, from a distance, when there's somebody that you come up to, you haven't even spoken to them, but based on the fact that they look different and maybe strange, the normal human behavior is like, oh, they are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they looked like you, until they open their mouth, like in my case, being a white person in, in Montreal, until I open my mouth, or even here, <laughs> they think I'm a local. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm aware of that, and I try to, you know, to use that so, so in a way that can, can benefit me, mm-hmm. when in some cases, when you mentioned about, you know, what, what you did about explaining to others who look like you, some behaviors that they're doing that is not right mm-hmm. about the behavior people who are, are not like them. Again, I try to use what I have to uh, to bring a positive impact. Yeah, um, I agree. I think we have to use what we have. We have to use what we have to get what we need or to get the results that we want. And I always like to tell people, I rather get results than be right because yeah. I could start screaming and yelling. And when I was in high school, I was a screamer. <laughs> you know, and in college, I was a screamer. I was like really dogmatic. And now, mm-hmm. anytime I hear dogmatism, I'm like, Mm-mm, no, mm-hmm. uh-uh. But I think that it is important to develop relationships with people. And you were talking about like people have a tendency to want to be comfortable, so they look for people who are like them. Yeah. But and and I think that you're making the same point, Peter. That that when you get to know people. Mm-hmm. That's when you find out sometimes that people who look really different than you are the ones who are most like you, and people who look the same as you are very different than you. We'll take it even further, as Maya Angelou always says, we're actually more alike than unalike. 
uh, we're all just very we're all just trying to find fulfillment in this life we're all trying to do the best that we can we all love our friends and family um, some of us love apple pie the mood others like whatever it is that it's not there <laughs> um, but um, what what three of us have in common I think as we were speaking is that we enjoy the stories uh, that come from meeting new people and trying different things I mean just look at foods are you just going to eat the f- one dish every single day Some every food te- well good luck to them yeah, <laughs> that know, sounds that sounds like but most of us that's the reason why uh, um, we have so many options uh, Italian food um, um, Irish food Jamaican food Ghanaian food um, and the reason I talk about food um, a lot in in cultural experiences is that if you can easily try something else um, you should you should be open to meet other people uh, because when you meet people you learn a lot not just about their food but you learn a lot about um, their stories and for everyone that I have met whether it was in college or grad school or studying abroad or just whoever I met um, f- most of the time we connected over food um, and uh, there's a little bit of tension oh, okay so you don't eat pork or you eat pork oh I thought you didn't eat pork because you have a religion oh no but it's, I'm eating ribs today. Exactly, exactly. It's it's it, it, it's an amazing life that uh, uh, we've all been given. Uh, we're all trying to do the best that we can. And if we want to move forward as a collective human race and have each one of us contribute to our fullest potential, um, we have to remove these barriers. And race is just one of the many barriers. Because for, for many people, um, it's an intersectional issue. Uh, there are people of color, who are black people who are uh, women and trans and are being murdered every day in this yeah. country. And they're being oppressed by people, members of their race and members of the majority race as well. Um, it's a complete intersectional issue. And I think what I heard both of you talk about was using your privilege to start conversations and using your privilege to, um, um, to bridge those gaps. And that's what I've tried to do as well. Yeah, because there's a lot of different kinds of privilege and privilege takes different forms, forms. at different times. You know, you might have straight privilege, yeah. you might have uh, race privilege, you might have uh, accent privilege. You know, like if somebody sees you, they think they get, oh, African-American. Then they hear you talk and they hear your accent. So you get Is like, he British? Where, yeah. where, where is and he from? And then, get, and then you get a pass. But if you are from a Latin American country mm-hmm. and they hear a Spanish accent, mm-hmm. all of a sudden... They go, you know, I'm not saying they, everybody, but but people who do will go right to um, all the stereotypes and, oh, rapists, kill. I mean, because that's what is being thrown around in this country. Right. And so, Peter, what do you you think about all this? Because, I mean, you're from a country, you're from Hungary, and um, Hungary has its history during the Holocaust, you know, where there were people who did, because in order to... In order to oppress people, in order to kill them, in order to separate them from their families, people say, how can they do that? You have to not see them as human beings. Because how could you take a baby away from their parent? Because if you don't see that baby as a human being, then you'll go to somebody's high school graduation and pull them off the stage and and put them in in jail or put them in a cage. Hmm. So I'd love to hear your take on it, having grown up where you grew up and and the history of of Hungary and other other countries around there. So I was born in Hungary, but I left uh, fairly early. So I I went to Algeria when I was four years old and I spent three years there. And my first experience with race was with my my friend Bishar. So he was from Cameroon, if I remember correctly. (laughs) He was very black and he was my best friend. And I wanted to be be like him. So when I would go to the beach with my parents, 
he tried like, to tan. Sorry. Exactly. No. Exactly. <laughs> well, you didn't so, know. So I was I was like four or five, and I wanted to be like him. So I would go on the beach, and by that time, I knew that tanning means makes me darker. So yeah, I'd be on the beach for exactly five minutes and thirty seconds, and I would come back to my mom, being maybe almost pink, but but barely, and ask my mom. I'm almost like Bisha, right? <laughs> basically, I wanted to be an, an, an it doesn't translate well, but basically an apprentice black. Yeah. So, yeah, I really wanted to be like him and we would play Legos and whatnot and and I didn't care about, you know, what color he was. I, I thought first of all that it was really cool that he looked different than me and then beyond that, then you know, we moved past that and whatever other things we had in common. So that's how it started. And early on, I became aware that there were people who looked different than me and think di- and thought differently. And I was always curious right, to this day. I asked a lot of questions. Uh, and that's how I realized early on that there's more than one way of doing things. And also, I think coming from Hungary, which was not like a powerful country, so it wasn't like we were, we had that, that self-confidence. like Didn't oh, have yeah, empires. We, exactly. Yeah. Or we rock. I mean, uh, I think the, the, the high point of our civilization was, I think, in the 1300s or something. And it's been downhill ever since, you know, we are on, the, on, the, on the bad side of the wars and everything. So that kind of affected the psyche. Yeah. So we didn't have the, the um, luxury to be like, oh, yeah, uh, to be overly overconfident or whatnot. So coming from that place of, of, of being aware of that and always like looking around, being questioning, that's how very early I became aware of those differences. Then yeah. moving to back to Hungary and then over there I was, you know, I was in a school, a French school very diverse again and then when I was moved to Canada that's when I saw that oh you had you know obviously the races but also in some cases people who look the same but then you had other other ways of dividing so yeah. for example in, in French Quebec because of the history uh, the there's some groups that were pr- promoting fr- French Canadian people so let's say based on on your last name you could get or not get a job Yeah. So, so this was not obviously open, but then if you look at the stats mm-hmm. of like, okay, how how is the population distributed, and then mm-hmm. how are certain, you know, names in a certain group of let's say about out of twenty five employees in a let's say in, in a city uh, department, oh, how come that twenty four of them are like French Canadian names, where mm-hmm. in the city of Montreal that is not the distribution? Now, to fight against this, you know, of of, of helping to empathize, uh, Patrick raised uh, two very good good points. Is one is food. I mean, I also love food. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and basically food, bringing together people around food is so universal. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that he mentioned was about asking questions about being interested. So, you know, being aware, you might show up as a white person who speaks English and maybe the people be before you were not so open. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain maybe stereotype that's coming with you. But if you come and you ask questions like, oh, how did you pre- prepare that? What's the significance? Mm-hmm. Things like that I will have people show them that you are interested. You're not just, you know, assuming everybody speaks English, but you want to learn about them. So they open up. And sharing a meal is an opportunity where you might sit down, but after a while, you know, you're busy with the food <laughs> and maybe some alcohol that loosens, you know, the gears and whatnot. And then you, you put your guard down and then you, you start talk, chatting about everything and anything. And that's where maybe accidentally you might realize that, oh, This guy next to me, who he looks very different, I can barely understand his accent, mm-hmm. but he loves Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I oh. love Game of Thrones. Yes. So now, now we can be friends. Yes. You know? So this is where it begins. And when I travel... The Red Wedding was really traumatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to me as well. And, and so when you travel, or when I talk to my clients about you know, moving to another country, instead of just seeking out you know, those who look like you or, or you know, go on that safe harbor, is that go and share a meal with others. And you know, just just go sit down. 
you, you will at least have a great meal. But more than that, you will slowly begin to realize that the different is not better, not worse. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And you know, often great things come out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, one of the things that I found around food is that if you ask people what the meaning of the food is, people really respond. You know, people as people really people really do connect, mm. and I and there's a, there's actually a TV show that a friend of mine, uh, my friend Charmaine, forced me to watch, but I'm glad I did. Called <laughs> uh, Ugly Delicious, oh. and it's about these these two guys. One's um, I think I think he's he's I think he's Chinese American, I think, um, and then another guy is like a white. Um, but then they're both chefs mm-hmm. and they go all around looking at like I saw one there was one on tacos and they go to like all these places that make great tacos they go to Mexico then they come to the US and then I guess some people from Mexico went to Sweden and taught them how to make tacos and they started making Swedish tacos and then and it's it's fascinating mm-hmm. and I think that because uh, one thing that I, that I have too in my programs because I do a lot of consulting on diversity and inclusion and, and cultural intelligence too is that I have something what in what I call take diversity to lunch and I tell people go to lunch mm-hmm. with someone who is different than you yeah. and start getting to know each other talk about the food talk about your personal lives I mean I don't tell each other oh you know who you <laughs> spent the weekend with or anything like that that's nobody's business <laughs> but just talking about your life I said and find three things in common mm-hmm. And three things that are different that you're curious about. Yeah. I find, so it's interesting to you. I think we probably brushed over it a little bit, but. Um, then go deep. Then, but, no, but, but so race is an issue, right? Yeah. And, and so I think all of us, assume, assume, because we, we, we agree that it's an issue. Many people in this country don't think it's an issue. They don't think biases exist. Uh, many right, if you're not a person of color. I mean, sometimes there's some people of color who I've, you know, don't Absolutely. Think so either. Don't think so either. The, but by and large, so right. go ahead. But the, the, but it's similar to any bias, right? There are many people in this country who don't believe that uh, women have it worse than men. Uh, there are many people in this country who don't even believe that women should have it equally to to men. Um, and as you both were talking about, really sitting down and listening to people's perspectives. I grew up in a household full of women, strong women. My grandmother was really the center of this whole entire um, household. That's my, my, my maternal grandmother, who was a force we reckoned with, and basically everyone respected her. I, my grandfather was present, they were, they were separated, but she was the answer to everything. Um, so I assumed, and the head of our, the, among the cousins, the head of a, the family was my cousin who, uh, she, when she said jump, you said how high? Like she was, a, she was basically the leader of the family. So I just assumed in many ways that there was gender equality. I assumed, really, because of my em- environment. Um, until I came to America and really just realized that it was broader than that. And the reason, it's because I had conversations with women. And I'll give you an example. I just had a conversation last week with one of my good friends. And she's like, she is very, she's a head, um, she's in a leadership position in some tech company. She's very brilliant. She's bright. She's funny. She's hilarious. And she was talking to me about the actual fear of being a woman walking down the street at night. Something that I really haven't thought about and she basically just mentioned that she was walking down on Polk Street because of her frame she was treated differently someone just came behind and just lift her lifted her up from the ground just because she was a woman and she was she was smaller 
So if you can have a conversation with someone and understand that this would never happen to me, they can try, this would never happen to me as a man because of my frame, yeah. uh, you can begin to understand when, uh, you can be, begin to understand where people are from, similar to race. Um, you have to go in the open mind and say, if it's not your experience, you should be open to people telling you, this is really my experience, this is what I'm going through every single day. Um, when someone sees a name that sounds ethnic, they don't want to hire them. Um, when, when people come to work um, and there's another... Uh, a black man who has been shot, they can't really concentrate because that's, right. that's a trauma they're going through. So they can't really concentrate at work if they don't have therapy available, if they don't have. It's just a very different experience for black people in this country. And I think that's the place to start from. Yeah, I think what you're saying is important. Like, I've, I've talked to several of my clients, I've done a lot of work with several African American employee resource groups mm -hmm. in, uh, in different industries. And one of them I was working with was in Missouri. Mm. And it was after like the first the first shooting, first police shooting, and the black people who were in the minority in the organization really wanted to have somewhere where they could talk about it. Mm -hmm. And the white people wouldn't talk about it. They just they would look at the black people. They t I'm, not, I'm not saying all you know because they were allies too, but but overall. And so for the people of color, and particularly for the black people, it was hard to concentrate after this had happened. And they were expected to just, hey, yeah, man, everything's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not just gonna ask you, because I know both of you have had many conversations about race in your life and in your personal life. What do you think, because if somebody's listening to the show and they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, how do we have that conversation? What do I need to know? What can I do? What advice would you give people? I think that the, the first one is <clears throat> is to first to listen, but just and really listen. And what I mean by that is to suspend judgment as soon as there's something that is unusual. You know, so as a white person, let's say you might feel really comfortable with cops. You know, I mean, in my case, in Hungary, we had a different relationship with cops, even though I'm white and they're white. So you know, that, that's a that's a different story. And and so that could be just let's say with with the police, or in any case. So when you talk to somebody who's from who has a different experience. We tend to to compare, let's say, what they're telling us with what we think we know, and in some cases, yeah, our our view might be valid. Maybe let's say I'm a white guy, this is a white guy, and we both went to the same club, and he was treated, let's say, I don't know, by the bouncer poorly. Okay, maybe, but even then, just listen because there's some things that you might not know. But if you talk to somebody who looks different than you, let's say it's a woman or or a man. Uh, or, or any other factor that makes their experience different, but so different that you cannot possibly know what their life is, that is when you really need to listen. And you need to be aware also of who you are. Let's say if you ask a question as a white person that maybe if this happened for the first time would be a valid question, but be aware that if ev every white person who came before questioned that person's point of view, trying to, inval trying to invalidate them, or at least it's perceived in that way, they'll be less patient. So you have to be extra patient. Mm -hmm. So listen, look at the situation, look at how you are perceived, what happened to them before, what the history and all those aspects so that you can really get a good sense. And as a human being, one of the most difficult things is to put ourselves in somebody else's shoe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible all the highly intelligent people I've seen who simply made the most, you know, I guess bigoted like comment about, let's say how, let's say a guy would say about how a woman should be or, or how, how they think they think. But clearly, they never asked them, you know, to verify. So mm -hmm. basically, just listen and, and suspend judgment. 
And you know, if you think you've listened enough, listen some more. Mm. Well, hey, that's deep. That's Thank amazing. you. All right, Patrick, let's hear what you have to say. I think one of the uh, the uh, best lessons that I, I can give, not in the pulpit, <laughs> is um, to recognize that uh, black people are not a monolith. It's a very homogenous group of people. Um, we the different different cultures, different, um, and that's really the, the tragedy of, of racism, right? We all lumped in together. Um, but it's quite, we're quite diverse. People speak differently uh, uh, from different economic backgrounds, um, different um, educational levels. Um, and, and basically, I think, for me, I always knew that until once I, I was, just a short story, I was visiting Lisbon, and I, so I grew, I grew up in Ghana and we're surrounded by Francophone countries. So Côte d'Ivoire to the west, Burkina Faso to the north, and Togo to the east. And so I've, I had heard French and I took six years of French. Don't speak to me in French. I, just, I don't speak any French. So my French teacher will be very mortified that after six years I can't speak any French. But I, I was familiar with uh, French. Um, and of course. But then when I went to Lisbon, it was the first time I sat next to another black woman. And I started speaking to her. Uh, about oh isn't this this I was trying to make some like comment and then she said then I realized she spoke Portuguese it was the first time ever that I had encountered a black person of course but then I felt so stupid of course there's Mozambique there's Angola there's a whole Brazilian group of people who speak Portuguese and not to just assume it's either like uh, English French or, or Spanish and and it's beautiful I all of us, we, we embrace uh, the differences. I am curious by stories where people are coming from. I think if people stop thinking of, 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 of really um, discussions about race as a chore, and they think of it more as go further knowing an individual, knowing, knowing someone, knowing a culture, getting, getting to know uh, what motivates them, and really not just painting everyone with a uh, broad brush. It's okay to make mistakes, mistakes, and you can ask questions, and and people can correct you. But also understand that people have trauma. There are people in this country. I have a lot of privilege. Uh, again, coming from from Ghana, but doesn't mean that I didn't have a, a traumatic experiences. So when people say to me, and I've had many white friends say to me, "Oh, it's so fun." talking to you about race. You seem to barely understand. I said, well, because I have privilege. I didn't grow up in this country. I I have suffered in this country, but I African Americans in this country have I cannot begin to imagine the trauma. And so many people they're upset. And so if you go and someone to talk to someone about race and they have a, a, a visceral reaction, um, you should just be gracious and just walk walk away and give the person time. But you shouldn't expect that every single one is going to be, because many people have had are tired of having that conversation, right? We are talking similar about like, uh, white people are tired of having that conversation, but many black people are just so tired because they see it as a lot of talk and no action in many ways. Um, but just, but the world has, it's a big group of uh, people of color. Just if you try once, try again, try again. I'm not just going to stop talking to uh, uh, people because they had visceral reactions. Um, just understand. Yeah, and think about your motivation too, yeah. about why you want to know. And and I mean, and that's why I always feel like, as a white person who is around, you know, people from different backgrounds all the time, that I have responsibility mm -hmm. to help. Because if I could stop, well, if somebody said, why do you want to do this show? And I talked about eliminating hate, bringing people together. I said, and if I can stop mm -hmm. 
one white person mm -hmm. from calling the police. Oh, yes. On uh. one person of color, a black person, for walking down the street and sneezing. Mm -hmm. I'll be happy because when you call the police for against like some a, a, a person of color, particularly if you're a black person for sneezing or I don't know, uh, wearing a hat that you don't like, whatever it is, when you call the police, yeah. you're putting that person's life in danger. So if yeah. you're calling the police for something like that, yeah. you better be prepared for the fact that can you live with yourself if that person gets shot? Yeah, and so I mean, you yeah. know, I'm not saying you should never call the police. Of course, you should call the police when you need to call the police, but. Think about that before you start calling the police on somebody for selling water or yeah. barbecuing. Come on now. Sima, it's so interesting you talked about this. I'll give you a, like another I love snippets <laughs> about um, there was a news article. There was a, a there was so it's a Ghanaian news. I I pay attention to my country a lot, <laughs> and the there was a, a, a under a woman who was from a, a poor neighborhood um, in Ghana went to the bank to withdraw money, and she had she had her kids. Uh, and some altercation happened with her and the police officer, and she was beaten. Like, so there's a video of it. Mm -hmm. So here I am being like a jaded American culture, like, oh, it's happened. It's, it's somehow it's happened to Ghana. But then the response was very different. The, 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 the outpouring of support everywhere from the president of the country of Ghana to the just the, the, the citizens. How could you lay a hand on another human being? Why, what did she have to do to get to the point? There's nothing that she could have possibly done for you to beat another human being. Oh my gosh, she's a mother, she had a child. Why, people started donating money to this woman. The, the police officer got like fired. Um, the woman had so much money now that people gave her a house, a house paid for, she had about a couple of kids and paid for the, the school fees for all these kids throughout. And it was an interesting, I called my cousin, I was like, the response to the police is very different culturally. Because here's one country saying, this is, doesn't happen and we cannot allow this. It's just, we, we, we're human beings. You cannot beat another human that, that much. It was very interesting because, um, as you know, uh, the experience here is very different. The, the, the conversation is going on. People are still like um, uh, dismissing the black experience and fear about police. Each time I see a police guy, I try to see, look at my hands. I, people can, if I, whenever I go to a CVS or like any other like uh, uh, pharmacy, people are following me. Like I make sure that my hands are, are being seen. Whenever I get to airports, Random selection, that's my friend, wherever. <laughs> Even in Europe, randomly selected, because I'm a person of color. Um, that experience is very, it's very real. And it, it is very traumatic for, um, for people of color to hear people say, it's, you're just being sensitive, right? Yeah. You hear that a lot, you're just being sensitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm looking at the time. I have so enjoyed having the two of you on the show. I mean, this has been an amazing show. And thank you, Mutiny Radio, for, for bringing...